0: The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty. But some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my beautiful friend, (laughs) Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hello, friends. I hope everyone's well out there. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. We're growing each week, so please keep sharing with your friends and family. Rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really mm-hmm. helps us out and means so much to us. Yes, it does. And you can help represent us by getting one of our awesome Rocky Mountain Red-Handed stickers. You'll love it. Get taken on your laptop, your water jug, anywhere. What do you think, Mel? Yeah, just send us a message on our social medias. You can find us on Facebook. Um, Instagram is at Rocky Mountain Redhanded, or you can send us an email, Rocky at gmail.com. So before we get started today, thank you to April from Las Vegas for this case today. I cannot believe I was unaware of this case. This is a case where we can make a difference. So listen carefully and maybe we can help bring um, the family some answers. So without further ado, here is our case today. This is the mysterious disappearance of Stephen Kosher. It all started with a car. On December 13, 2009, a white Chevy Cavalier parked on the side of the road and a man got out. And he simply walked away. Anthem Subdivision in Henderson, Nevada, is located just outside of Las Vegas. It's like a high-income master plan community for 55 and older, so it's a really nice neighborhood. On that day, I wonder if any homeowners peered out of their windows behind their curtains and saw a car pull up. A clean-cut young man get out and walk away, leaving an abandoned car. The car sat untouched in a cul-de-sac for several days. The circle didn't have any homes on it. It was just desert and, like, sporadic weeds surrounded the car. These types of master plan communities, like, are very particular on their HOA rules and guidelines. Yeah. mm -hmm. So after a few days and no one claiming the vehicle, the city would need to be called and to take care of the problem. Yeah, street parking is a common violation of um, community standards, and it would not be tolerated by these people. They loved their community, and they wanted it to look a certain way. Yeah, definitely. hmm So the Anthem HOA got to work. I mean, HOAs are typically made of homeowners of the area who volunteer to, like, regulate and enforce the standard that is agreed upon in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. These volunteers had no idea what a little poking around a parked car would bring to their quiet neighborhood. As neighbors approached the car, they must have hoped to find something to help identify who the owner of the car was. And they did. Sitting on the dashboard sat a stack of flyers advertising professional window washing. So the HOA called the service company and complained about the abandoned vehicle. Surely the owner of the car worked for the company and the company identified who owned the abandoned car, Stephen Kosher. He was a part-time employee who had distributed advertisements of their services. The company had no clue why Stephen would abandon his car in this Las Vegas residential neighborhood. They hadn't heard from Stephen in a few days at least, so they reached out to his family. Maybe they, like, had family in the neighborhood. Maybe they could help get a hold of Stephen and figure out why his car was there. Yeah, the phone rang at the home of Rolf and Deanne Kosher in Bountiful, Utah on December 17th. Bountiful is just, oh, about a half hour from downtown Salt Lake, It's north of Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Deanne answered and was shocked to hear the voice of a Henderson, Nevada police officer. She listened as they explained that Stephen's car had been abandoned in a quiet neighborhood since December 13th. What was Stephen doing in Las Vegas? Henderson City Parking Enforcement requested that the car be moved as soon as possible. After all, Vegas was a common place for people who wanted to disappear. Abandoned vehicles like this happened all the time. Yeah, the homeowners usually, you know, popped up after a few days or a week later, hung over, and probably broke from Las Vegas. gambling. Mm Mm-hmm. But Stephen was different. He wasn't a partier. He wasn't a gambler. He wasn't someone who would get into trouble. Was he? Stephen was born November 1st, 1979 in Amarillo, Texas. Stephen was the second born among five children. His parents, Rolf and Deanne, had met while enrolled at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. His father was the executive editor at the Amarillo Observer, a local newspaper, while Stephen grew up and attended school at Amarillo High School. The family was very active at their church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, And Stephen was active in the Boy Scouts of America and even achieved their highest award, the Eagle Scout. Stephen graduated from Amarillo High School in 1998, which just so happens to be the same year Becky graduated. Yep, I just had my 25th high school reunion, so shout out to (laughs) Pine View class of 98. There you go. (laughs) Stephen attended Ricks College in Rexburg, Idaho. Their name has now been changed to Brigham Young University, Idaho. Um, He had Attended there for one year before he served a two-year Christian mission in Brazil. For this mission, Stephen learned to fluently speak Portuguese. Serving an 18-month or two-year mission is customary for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Leonard D.C. So, cool little note, Stephen's father also served a mission in Brazil. After his Christian mission, Stephen finished his education at University of Utah. Go Utes! Go oh, yeah and received his bachelor degree in communications. After receiving his degree, Stephen served as an intern at the office of Utah Governor Oleen Walker. Then he went to work as a journalist at the Davis County Clipper, where his father worked as executive editor. Stephen had many close friends, and he was very close with his family. He loved to watch sports with his family, and Stephen was extremely musically gifted. He played the guitar, piano, and loved to sing. In 2007, he began working in digital advertising for the Salt Lake Tribune. It's one of the largest newspapers in the state of Utah. Um, But after about a year at the Trib, he was already ready for a change. Stephen hated the cold weather, so he headed down south to southern Utah for the warm temperatures of St. George, Utah. I mean, I totally agree with that. I do not like the (laughs) colds. The snow I just don't like being in. The cold. Well, especially if he grew up in Texas, he probably really hated it. Yeah, winter is the worst. Yeah. Utah. And the Trib is a really big paper. Yeah. I mean, it's we in here in Utah, we have two big papers. It's the uh, Desert News and the Salt Lake Tribune, and the Salt Lake Tribune has a huge circulation. So it was it was a good job at the time. He must have really hated that cold weather. He must have. <laughs> In 2007, he moved to St. George. St. George is in the southwest corner of Utah. It's about four hours from Salt Lake City, but kind of seems a world away. Instead of the Rocky Mountains, snow, and ski resorts of northern Utah, St. George offers high desert temperatures, red rocks, and the cliffs of Zion National Park. And I have to say it's Zion National Park, not Zion's, just as a PSA for Everyone, everyone not from Utah says Zion's. It's not, guys. It's Zion. Yes. (laughs) Just one of those things. With just about 100,000 residents, St. George is much smaller, and it is home to Utah Tech University. Stephen was ready to settle down into his new home. He found an apartment to share with another guy in his 20s. Unfortunately, the two men lived very different lives and didn't share very much in common. Stephen was straight-laced and didn't indulge in drinking or drugs. His roommate, on the other hand, partied a lot and had his own priorities. They were cordial, but they had very little to do with each other. And I imagine that would be really hard to live with someone who's just very different than you in whatever regard. I think it would be hard, but also I've lived with people I don't really know, and it's actually really relaxing. Okay. There you <laughs> go. You don't have to, like... Yeah, stop. yeah. You just kind of do your own thing. So, yeah. So... Just a few months after Stephen relocated to St. George, the Great Recession hit in December of 2007. It practically shut down the economy in many American cities. St. George's economy, in many ways, is a reflection of the economy in you know, Las Vegas or Phoenix. And these cities were at a standstill with massive layoffs and bank foreclosures. And St. George wasn't any different. Initially, Stephen found work at Matchben, which is a digital advertising company, but he was let go with this economic downturn. Stephen was one man in an ocean of people who were laid off during this Great Recession. Unemployment hit almost 10% in the United States. Yeah, just for reference, the current unemployment rate is about 3.6. He tried to make ends meet. He worked part-time distributing flyers door-to-door for that window-washing company, but things were tight. I mean, this man has a four-year university degree, and he's handing out flyers. I mean, that that must have been a shot to his pride, don't you think? It was a rough time. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it was a rough time for everyone, though, at that at yeah. that time. For months, Stephen applied to job after job. Any job opening, like, he could find, he applied for work. His university education and job experience didn't really seem to matter. So he applied for entry-level jobs, jobs that, like, teenagers would work when they were first mm-hmm. starting out. And yet he would be turned down for them. Yeah, this was a challenge he did not expect to face after his hard work in college. I mean, sometimes life throws us a loop. And the, the Great Recession did that to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. He never thought he would be unemployed and broke. His parents knew Stephen had been struggling the last few months. And, you know, he was trying to find his place in the world. He was struggling financially, but he just wouldn't accept any assistance. Times were tough for most Americans. Yet, his parents were in a position that they could help, and they really did want to help their son. His grandmother reached out to give him a check, but Stephen refused to cash it. Things came to a breaking point when Stephen's landlord phoned his parents. Stephen was two and a half months late on his rent. Rolf, Stephen's father, called called him and offered to help, you know, catch him up with rent, pay his rent. Stephen was humiliated. He hung up on his father after denying he needed any help at all. Sure. He, he really wanted to make it on his own. The next day, Stephen sent a text to his father and apologized for hanging up on him. He said he was okay and he just wanted to be able to make it on his own. <laughs> that same day, Stephen called his mom to make plans for the Christmas holiday. Stephen always loved the season and even though this year he wouldn't be able to stay as long as he normally liked to with the family, He said he would definitely be there on December 23rd. That conversation would be the last time mother and son would speak. So let's get back to December 17th. Stephen's car had been reported to Henderson, Nevada, parking enforcement. Yeah, Stephen's mother, Deanne, received a phone call um, regarding Stephen's white Chevy Cavalier. It had been abandoned in the upscale neighborhood we talked about in the cul-de-sac since December 13th. Henderson City warned the family that his car would be impounded if it wasn't moved immediately. So the family tried reaching Stephen on his cell phone over and over and over. No answer. Went straight to voicemail. The cell provider couldn't locate the phone either. So you know, with no location services available, duck meld isn't it? Either the phone is dead, or the battery is, or, or the battery's dead, or the phone turned off right yeah i wasn't sure about that but is that the only two reasons that the location services wouldn't work well i think you can actually go in and turn your location services off can't you oh if yeah phone mm-hmm. but you have to actually physically, physically. go in and do that mm-hmm. so right. steven would need to do that because you need to put him in the passcode right yeah and the phone's going to voicemail as well so who knows if he's either saying everything to voicemail or it's turned off or dead so mel just so you know if my phone is turned off i'm dead yeah I don't ever turn my phone off. I never. The turn only time for- it turns off is when there's like an update and it automatically like updates and then. In the middle off. of the night. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So just so you know, okay. if my phone is turned off. I'm dead. I'm dead. Okay, <laughs> that's not good. The cell phone provider was able to let the family know that Stephen had not been active on their network since the 13th, which was about a week ago. There were no phone calls out, no email sent, no digital footprint whatsoever. Okay, that's not a good sign. Mm-hmm. His mother began to wonder. Okay, what if Stephen had chosen to walk out into the desert and just give up? What if things had gotten just too difficult for him? She feared the worst. Stephen tended to sometimes be very hard on himself. He came from a very high-achieving family, and he compared himself to his siblings and his cousins. At times, he felt that he just wasn't as successful as they were. Which is ridiculous because he's, you know served that wonderful mission for two years and then graduated from a university yeah he's doing good it's a hard time but i gotta say when i was writing this it sort of reminded me of mark hacking from our lies for lori episode yeah I can definitely don't see you see one. it yeah he was like mark was from a high achieving family and sometimes siblings from these type of families have you know that additional pressure put on them either intentionally or not intentionally you know by themselves or others It doesn't seem like Rolf and Dan were, like, trying to put any pressure on him. It kind of seems like it was just coming from him, right? Yeah, I... Trying to help him. And he's, like, refusing the help. Yeah. So he's putting that pressure on himself. Mm -hmm. And we're definitely not comparing Mark Hacking with Stephen. No, we are not. In that regard with their family. Yes, for sure, yeah. But just the pressure of belonging to a high-achieving family can be really heavy. Yeah. So Stephen's mom didn't think he was withdrawn or severely depressed. He was very active with the single scene in St. George. He held a leadership position with his church and attended church activities, socials, dances, and like other outdoor activities. Yeah, I know that church can really hold everyone's like social scene. Like you can be active. so They have so many different activities going on all the time that you can stay really busy with just people you meet from your church congregation. So Stephen didn't have a girlfriend at the time of his di- disappearance, but he jaded around a lot. He was known as being, you know, super social, funny, and like the kind of guy that always is, says yes. Like any adventure, he's down. So Stephen just wouldn't give up on life, would he? Let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with whole supplement. Build momentum each day with the whole depression Relief stack, the three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So how do you take the whole stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Day- take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take sleep it off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking whole supplement just a couple weeks ago, and I already feel like I am giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in whole supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CVO of Whole Supplement. started whole Supplement with the mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire Whole Depression Relief stack at 15% off. Go to WholeSupplement.com and use code ROCKYMOUNTAIN again go to Wholesupplement.com and use coupon code Rocky Mountain simplify your fight with the whole stack from whole supplement a big thank you to our sponsors but let's get back to our story so Rolf kosher who is Steven's father reached out to St George Utah Police Department Steven's case was assigned to detective Adam Olmstead St George Police began like a preliminary investigation and the kosher family headed south Yeah, Rolf and their two youngest sons drove throughout the night down I-15 South to St. George. It was about a four-hour drive. The family was ready to find Stephen and help him with whatever he needed. If he would accept their help, he wouldn't have gone too far, would he? Rolf luckily had a key to Stephen's apartment in St. George. He let himself in and found nothing, right? like The apartment was empty. Stephen's roommate had moved out the month before, and the apartment was completely bare. It wasn't exactly like a home away from home for Stephen. There's something like so sad about that to me. Is it because I'm a girl and I like to like make a home? Maybe he just didn't But I don't think my husband wouldn't. I know that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So the kosher family walked through the empty living room and found Stephen's bedroom. The bedroom was neat and looked as if Stephen could, you know, walk in the door at any time. His laptop was there. His cell phone charger was still plugged into the wall, ready and waiting to charge his phone upon his arrival. His personal items, valuables, everything was left behind. I don't really know anyone who would go out of town and leave their charger behind, do you? No, especially someone in their 20s. I mean, right. my teenagers, at least... If they go to a friend's house, they take a freaking charger. Like, it's a phobic thing they have that they cannot let their phone go out, right? That's so funny. Steven's family looked for any red flags around the apartment, and they found one item missing that left them confused. Steven's passport was gone. So people don't usually carry around their passports, do they? I mean, do you know that's something people do? I I keep mine in our safe. I keep ours in our safe, yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. think that's something that you normally just take with you. Yeah. So while in St. George, the Kosher family, along with St. George Police Department, began to reach out to any friends who were close to Stephen. Someone must have an idea of, you know, why he had gone down to Las Vegas and why he disappeared. The Kosher family headed two hours further south to Henderson, Nevada. They needed to go and pick up Stephen's car before the vehicle was impounded. I wonder, like, what Ralph was thinking as he was going on that drive down to pick up his son's car, like Stephen, okay, I or, can't imagine what was going through his head. Or, I mean, I wonder if he was thinking, did he just choose to walk away? Yeah, was he all right? Mm-hmm. Was he the one that left the car, or had it been stolen and dumped? Did Stephen meet up with someone who maybe had hurt him? Uh, was he involved in a world that maybe his family wasn't completely aware of, which wouldn't be that long of a of a shot with a twenty year old? Was he alive, or had he been left somewhere for dead? Rolf weaved his way through the streets of the Anthem subdivision in Henderson, Nevada, and found Stephen's car. So the street that Stephen left on was not left near a main road. I mean, it was, like, deep inside of this private subdivision. This is, like, not a convenient place to, like, ditch a car. You know what I mean, Mel? Yeah, for sure. It seemed like Stephen must have known where he was going when he parked his car on the 13th. Rolf called Henderson Police Department and requested an officer to meet him at the abandoned vehicle. Using the extra key, Rolf unlocked the vehicle. What would he find inside? So the car seemed to be in good shape. There was no signs of like a break-in or like a drilled-out ignition. The car did not look to be stolen. Um, the engine started right up. No mechanical problems. The fuel tank was half full. I mean, there was no red flags. So it seemed like Stephen ended up parking his car in this spot on purpose right the car like didn't break down on him no signs of that yeah the car showed no signs of alcohol or substance abuse of the driver there was no smell of alcohol no cigarette butts needles like powder pills things like that nothing that would like freak out someone that, that something that wasn't lined up with steven's normal behavior yeah. mm-hmm. in fact when the sound system was turned on The words of scripture came through the speakers. Stephen had been listening to the Bible on his CD player. Like, this is not a guy who's, like, up to no good, right? The car was neat. There were no empty food bags or fast food cups left, which is the opposite of my car. Thanks to my children. They saw this stack of window washing flyers on the dashboard, the same stack that the neighborhood HOA had seen through the window. Yeah, so... So, had Stephen been working in the neighborhood? It didn't seem like it. The surrounding homes did not receive a flyer on their doorsteps. So, why in the heck is Stephen in this neighborhood? The police officer and Ralph did find a small stack of receipts from the last few days before the 13th. There were food receipts, fuel receipts, and in the backseat they found a big winter coat. That's like the coat that, like, you wouldn't wear in southern Utah or Las Vegas in that heat. It'd be like a winter coat for northern Utah. Yeah, down there in the desert, no one wears coats. Even when it's cold, it's not really cold. Right. Mm-hmm. There's also a pillow and a blanket. So this made them think maybe Stephen had been, like, sleeping in his car. Why would he do that if he had an empty apartment sitting there? So, also in the back seat, a plastic shopping bag. Inside, they found store-bought decorated Christmas cookies and a baby bib. The family agreed it must have been Christmas gifts for his brother's family and a brand new baby nephew. As sad as this was to discover in Stephen's backseat, it must have been, like, somewhat comforting, right? He was thinking about his family. Mm -hmm. This was a sign. It was a sign that he had made plans to come home for Christmas, and he was planning on being there. Stephen didn't have much money at the time, as we've talked about. He couldn't buy any, like, big, extravagant gifts for his family. Yet, he found ways to express his love through these simple Christmas gifts. There were colorfully decorated cookies and the simple baby bib. Stephen had always been really thoughtful. That's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, the family and the police decided to check the trunk. I, like, I don't know, when I was researching this, I'm thinking, okay, this is when your nerves run high, right? Sometimes grisly discoveries can come to light when the trunk is opened. In Stephen's trunk, they found proof of Stephen's determination. Nothing scary. Literally dozens and dozens of job applications were carefully filed. Signs of reapplying for positions, notes of follow-up phone calls, and checklists were found in the trunk. Stephen had worked so hard just to find work. That's something so sad about that. Rolf Kosher and the police officer spoke for some time outside of Stephen's car. The police in Henderson assumed that he would show back up, which is like 99% of other missing persons cases. Right, for sure. They thought that he was just another 30-year-old man who maybe needed to blow off some steam. He obviously had some stress in his life. Chances are that he would be back soon. With no evidence of a crime, the family would just need to wait. Stephen's family believed something was wrong, and they refused to just sit back and do nothing and wait. Yeah. So first up, canvassing. The Kosher family made a plan, which is awesome. I love this type of family where they're not going to sit around on their hands. They divided the neighborhood up and began knocking door to door, asking for any information regarding Stephen. Had anyone seen him? Had anyone seen anything out of the ordinary in their neighborhood? Did anyone have any external security cameras? And bingo. One of the first doors that the family knocked on did have security cameras. This house was just a couple of dozen yards away from Stevens' abandoned vehicle. The security system was quite complicated, so Rolf's brother-in-law hired a private detective to retrieve the hours of footage that they would want to see. Yeah, even nowadays, we have our ring doorbells. Right. And, I mean, I don't think anyone can walk down the street anymore and not get seen, but, you know, this is quite a few years ago. This yeah. is time before everyone had ring doorbells, so they really lucked out with those cameras. Yeah. So in the meantime, the family continued to just comb through the neighborhood. They also contacted the normal places, the shelters, hospitals, jails, anywhere they could think of where Stephen could be located in Las Vegas. Deanne, Stephen's mom, studied his phone bill. She went through like his call history and contacted person after person, looking for anyone who had information on Stephen's whereabouts. She talked to two of Stephen's friends who had called him the day that he disappeared. Yeah, so the morning of Sunday the 13th, which is the day Stephen abandoned the car, he had talked to two friends from his church congregation there in St. George, Utah. Stephen had told both of them the same thing, that he would not be at church that day and that he would be out of town in Las Vegas. He didn't say why, but they both reported that he was calm, you know, completely normal and wasn't misleading or on edge in any way. And I gotta say something. If these were girls, we would do the follow-up question of like, oh, what are you doing? (laughs) But guys, don't do that, right? Deanne also looked through Stephen's banking records. There was absolutely no activity on his account, except for like a couple of small automatic payment transactions that had went through. Mm -hmm. So Stephen's older brother, Matthew, was able to access his Yahoo email account. He couldn't find anything the least bit suspicious, just like endless job applications and, unfortunately, rejection letters from employers. Matthew checked Stephen's search history. There were no searches about, like, Las Vegas, jobs in Las Vegas, no searches of suicidal ideation, nothing that would raise any type of, like, red flag for his mental health. Just nothing. I think search history can really tell you a lot about someone's mental state. I am interested what your search <laughs> history looks like, though, with all of your research. You I, my, I know, i have something I do anyone to like at it. I like, okay, if anyone from the FBI is listening, <laughs> this is why I'm searching <laughs> all these things. So with Christmas coming up, Deanne, Stephen's mother, held out hope that Stephen would show up at home on December 23rd, the day that he had promised he was coming home, just as they had planned on the phone right before he disappeared. Well, the 23rd came and went. No, Stephen. Christmas Eve? No, Stephen. Christmas Day? No, Stephen. The private investigator was able to access and analyze the video footage from the day Stephen's car was abandoned. The footage is available on our social media, so you'll definitely want to go check it out so you can kind of see for yourself. Seriously, pause us right now and pull up social media and take a look. It's short. Mel, tell us our socials again. So Instagram is at Rocky Mountain Red Handed, and then you can just search Rocky Mountain Red Handed on Facebook. Okay, so Mel and I seriously just pause recording, and we watched the video again to refresh our minds. Yes. So on the video, at 1154 on December 13th, you can see Stephen's car, the white Chevy Cavalier, drive past the camera mounted on a home, and six minutes later at exactly 12 p.m., the video captures a man who is we assume to be Stephen. Yeah. So first off, their question is like, is this man actually Stephen? The Kosher family has likely watched this video thousands of times. They say they are positive that the man on the video is Stephen. I feel like cameras, it is so hard to tell, but it was his car driving past and his family. Sure, it's him. So the chances that it's him is probably pretty likely. I agree. And also, I think, I don't know if have you ever, like, seen your kids from, like, far off, Mel? And even though it may look like your daughter, you can tell it's not her because of the way she's standing or walking. Right. I feel like in a video like that, that's where, like, the person's mannerisms are going to tell you if that's the identity. Not necessarily you can't see his face. Right. But, like, I could pick out my family, my sisters, from just the okay. way they walk. Don't you think? Definitely. hmm so Steven can be seen walking down the street. It looks to me like he's holding something under his arm. Like what do you think, Mel? Yeah, it definitely looks like he's holding something. I don't I don't know what it is. It, the way he's holding it, it almost looks like like a file folder or like papers or something like that. Yeah. He walks all the way down the street and out of the frame. Also, the other car in the frame, it kind of looks as if it's following Steven, but yeah, it looks it looked creepy, Yeah. Right? It did look creepy. It's not. Um, it's a local real estate agent who was looking for an address. They have been cleared by Henderson Police. Yeah. And I also want to mention too, did you notice Mel that when he, when he's driving in to the neighborhood, his car was on the wrong side of the road. Like right. he was, he was on the opposite side of the road that a car should be driving on. To me, like, when do you do that? When are you kind of disoriented on a street? I mean, when you're looking for somewhere that you've never been, before, yeah. right? Like you're looking for an address. I'm thinking, is he like trying to look at house numbers? Like that's, that's kind of makes sense to me. So anyway, I think it's important to note the time. Steven arrived in the neighborhood on that street at 1154 AM. It seems to me like he waited in the car till exactly 12 PM. I mean, we see him on camera like 10 seconds after 12 PM. Like, okay, this is something that I would totally do if I was meeting someone for the first time. I would like make sure I had plenty of time to find the house, like leave earlier than I really need to just in case I can't find the house. And then I would like wait in my car because you don't want to show up too early before no. appointment mm-hmm. time, right? Like you want to be on time, but not too early. Mm-hmm. It can be like a little rude. You don't want to come across desperate yeah. in a meeting. like I would totally sit in my car I and then burn a couple minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of things that that stick out to us. It'd be interesting to hear from our listeners maybe comment on our socials what you found interesting in the video. Yeah. Is there anything else to you, Becky? No, I think that pretty much covers it. But to me, I think the timestamp is the most obvious clue that this was not. That, I mean, Stephen was not a man staggering away from the car, right. lost. He doesn't seem like he's in any type of duress. He doesn't seem emotional at all. He seemed like he was walking with a purpose. He, he told... Yes, he seemed like he knew where he was going, so. With this footage and with the weeks ticking by, the communities in Las Vegas, St. George, and Stevens home in the Salt Lake Valley, like, everyone got involved with his disappearance. Anderson Dairy, which is a local family-owned and operated dairy farm. It's dairy farm. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Anderson Dairy, which is a local family-owned and operated dairy farm, did what they could to help. Yeah. Can I mention really quick, Anderson Dairy has the best sour cream. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Next time you need to get their sour cream. It's so good. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Anderson Dairy sells their products in Southern Nevada and in Utah all over. So, to help spread awareness on Stephen's case, they printed his face and case details on their milk cartons. I mean, this is such a wonderful example of, like, how our Rocky Mountain communities can come together and help and try and get the word out about these cases. Deanne Kosher, Stephen's mother, is quoted saying... Quote, we realize it has been many years since Anderson Dairy last did this, which was printing a miss- missing person's picture on a milk carton, and we greatly appreciate the efforts on our behalf. Yeah, I think it just it just shows, like, they found something that they could do to help, and they did it. Yeah. You know, I just think it's so great. So some of our younger listeners may not know the history of missing persons on milk cartons. The majority being missing children. In December of 1984, the National Child Safety Council developed the Missing Children Milk Carton Program. Within weeks, the program was implemented voluntarily by over 700 independent dairies across the country. Yeah, I clearly remember staring at the faces of missing children and adults on my milk cartons. I would like eat my breakfast cereal, and I would I remember like purposely trying to remember their faces. Yes, I, I see them. Yes, yeah, I can help. Mm-hmm. After Christmas, the Henderson Police Department began to really step up their investigation. Detective Robert McKay led the investigation, including a massive four-day search and rescue effort. They were using helicopters, ATVs, like hundreds of volunteers and animals. The search covered hundreds of acres of rocky desert terrain and like hundreds of door-to-door contacts. Yeah, and that Southern Nevada desert sucks. (laughs) it is just so rocky the terrain is so hard it's beautiful but it is not something to easily navigate Mm -hmm. so with this massive search they found nothing no signs of steven after a month the ap picked up the story and law enforcement started to receive leads from across the country steven's cousin who is a software engineer did what he could to help in the effort he started a Facebook page and other social media and began to like manage the tips that were coming in from all over. That's awesome. So one tip which was passed to the Las Vegas Police Department was received from an employee at a Las Vegas IHOP. This person reported a customer who would come in each and every night. This customer was homeless and would come into that IHOP for a free iced tea each evening. Reportedly, this customer looked a lot like Stephen. So the family began to wonder if like maybe Stephen had suffered some type of mental breakdown. Was he like just wandering around Las Vegas, hungry, confused? Yeah, I mean, the family's going to do anything. They're going to like grasp at any straw that it could possibly be Stephen. So the entire family spent days, literally 24 hours a day at that IHOP in hopes of seeing the homeless man. Maybe it really was Stephen. No such luck. The homeless man that reportedly resembled Stephen did not come back to the restaurant, and the lead went cold. Law enforcement received Stephen's full phone record after a subpoena, and it showed that someone attempted to check Stephen's voicemail at 6.04 a.m. the day after he disappeared. What do you think about this, Becky? This is big to me. Like, I don't think just anyone is going to try to check his voicemail. Yeah, it seems really strange. Like if he was, if somebody took him, what would be the point? What were they trying to get off of his phone or was it him checking it? Yeah, I mean, if you find a phone, you don't try to check the voicemail, right? You, like, to me, that's something you try to, like, pry into someone's life. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder, I mean, let's pretend that Stephen was taken and we're completely just guessing here. If someone did take Stephen... And they, you know, saw phone calls come through. Are they trying to figure out if he's being missed? Is he, like, do you know what I mean? How much do they know? How much already? do they know? Yeah. Like, let's say Stephen, they don't know. Maybe someone, maybe Stephen told someone that, hey, I'm going to go see this guy. His right. name is blah, blah, blah. You know, and maybe someone's saying, hey, I don't know. I To me, you check voicemail if you want to pry into someone's life. Not if you just found him. Yeah. yeah. So now Stephen's case was somewhat overlooked by the national media. It was eclipsed by another Rocky Mountain case that you have all heard of, Susan. Powell. So let's take a break for our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thank you again to our sponsors. So, Stephen disappeared on December 13, 2009. Susan Powell disappeared on December 7, 2009. Um, if you have been living under a rock, you may have not heard of Susan Powell. But if you're listening to this podcast, there's a really good chance that you know exactly who Susan, who Susan Powell is. So, Mel, have you listened to Cold yes. Podcast? Yes, he does such a good job with that. And it's just heartbreaking and all of the things you've listened to it too. I not have anyway. not. You have not. I have listened not. To it. I have listened to every other podcast out there. doing <laughs> like, goodness, I'm but, actually shocked right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, because I think I couldn't get past the beginning. Josh Powell and Stephen Powell are both just the worst human beings to walk this earth. I couldn't. I can't muscle that through that story. Yeah. I can't. It's it's really disgusting, and he does go into a lot of the details because it is the whole the whole podcast is about this specific case. So you hear their voices in some things. And I, yeah, just, I don't want to listen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, listeners, if you are out there and you have not listened to Cold. it's interesting. Every single other person I know loves that podcast. Yeah. So that may be one you want to listen to. So Stephen Powell, who is Josh Powell's just gross, disgusting father, <laughs> reached out to Ralph Kosher. He believed that Susan and Stephen's cases were actually linked. He suspected that Get this. He said that Stephen and Susan may have run off together. What a terrible, terrible person. He's gross. Yeah, he's so dumb. So the cases do have a few things in common. Both are from the Salt Lake Valley. Yeah, both were active in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But, like, so is half the population. Yeah, I mean, that's... So Stephen Powell said that he had guessed that they ran off to a foreign country together, which is the biggest bunch of crap because he knows exactly where Susan is. Yeah. So he said that since Stephen Kosher served an LDS Christian mission in Brazil and spoke Portuguese fluently, that maybe they had run off together to this foreign country. This just makes me so mad that he's even involving the Kosher's in his lies. I think Stephen Powell is just as despicable as his son. He's looking to, like, pawn Susan's disappearance off on Stephen. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Plus, like, so many people in Utah speak a different language because so many have served missions all over the world. It's not uncommon for people to speak many, like, diverse, different languages. Yeah. I mean, if, if you are familiar with people from Utah, a lot of people speak, like, languages from all over the world. In fact, I have a really good friend that he speaks, like, an African dialect that's, like, the tongue-clicking. That's yeah, I mean, like, it's not uncommon in Utah for people to speak a, a foreign language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No surprise, Stephen Powell was completely full of crap. <laughs> Neither of their passports were used to leave the country, and detectives even sat down with the West Valley City Police, where soon was from and the Henderson police, and there was absolutely nothing to tie the two together in any way. Months down the road, Stephen's family found his passport in his belongings. Oh, so it wasn't missing. Also, many law enforcement agents believe that Stephen Powell and Josh Powell both had to do with the disappearance and suspected murder of Susan Powell. So eventually, Josh Powell died by suicide, along with taking the lives of his two young, innocent children on February 5th, 2012. After serving time in prison for child pornography and voyeurism, Stephen Powell died of natural causes on July 23rd, 2018. All you can say is good riddance. Getting back to Stephen Kosher, um, his family came across some suspicious charges and receipts that Stephen had made several days before his disappearance. Stephen drove over a thousand miles in one day. That is a lot of driving. He drove from St. George to the Salt Lake Valley, then from Salt Lake to Wendover, Nevada, which is in northern Nevada, and then he drove back to St. George. I is not. I don't like car trips. ask my husband. I do not like being in the car for long periods of time. That sounds awful. Well, what I kind of say to you is, this is not a scenic drive. This isn't a drive where you like go and think deeply and figure out your life. No, it's central Utah is is just pretty sagebrushy. Don't you think? And then the drive from Salt Lake to Wendover, Nevada, is probably one of the most boring drives on this planet. If you've heard of the salt flats where they race um, the the vehicles at super high speeds, that's a, that's where they're going. Like it's, you're seriously driving through endless salt flats. That's it. Nothing to see. So Stephen made fuel tops in Wendover, Nevada, Springville, Utah, and Nephi, Utah. And no one has come forward with any information on why Stephen would be making all of this driving. Yeah. So a few weird things about this journey. Stephen, like, doesn't have money for weird drives for no reason. right? Yeah. He's paying I, his rent. That's going to be expensive to drive that. That's a lot of gas money. And he just didn't have the money to spare. Some people suspected maybe, like, Stephen was working as a drug runner. Stephen was really desperate for an income. Did he just get wrapped up in something that he couldn't get out of? Which, I mean, I can definitely see why people are thinking that. Why else would you be driving these extreme distances in such a short amount of time? So his family was just as curious as anyone else um, what Stephen may have gotten himself involved in. So Rolf took Stephen's car over to the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Department. He requested the car be searched from top to bottom, bumper to tailpipe. The sheriff's department used canines and experienced officers on the search. The officer who led the search had been in service for over 20 years, and he said he was 100% certain there were no drugs and there had never been any drugs in Stephen's car. It was 100% clean. Yeah. Another idea for this crazy road trip that people have brought up is gambling. Like, when, like, Wendover is known as a gambling hub. But that just doesn't make any sense, right? Because he was living in St. George. Las Vegas is two hours away, which he could have easily gone and gambled there. So the drive doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, even outside of St. George, if you cross into Nevada, there's also Mesquite, Yeah, Nevada. True. Which, is which. Nice. I mean, is even less time. It's like 45 minutes. So gambling just doesn't make sense, don't you think? No, it's way too So why was Stephen on the road so much before his disappearance? Well, someone sent in a tip to the Facebook page that, like, the police and family found very interesting. While in northern Nevada, Stephen had stopped at an old girlfriend's parents' home in Ruby Valley, Nevada. Ruby Valley is about an hour outside of Elko, Nevada, and about two hours west of Wendover. So pretty much in the middle of nowhere, Right. right? I'm sure it's beautiful, so no offense, but, like... There's no reason to be passing through Ruby Valley. So Stephen stopped by without calling ahead and said hello to the family. So his old girlfriend was gone that day. So Stephen hadn't even made sure she was going to be there. I mean, so it wasn't like he was really hoping to see her. Mm -hmm. So, but Stephen stayed and visited with the family and they had lunch. The family invited him for lunch. Um, Families agreed that they were, you know, just friends at this point, nothing more. And so... Why would Stephen drive so far to see them? Yeah. Months after his disappearance, Stephen's Facebook page had a tip come in. The tip said that they should look for Stephen south of Las Vegas near the Henderson Executive Airport. The family and law enforcement teamed up together for another search. Over 70 people searched for hours and they came across the remains of a makeshift home. The unoccupied remains of a tent that someone had lived in for several months, they could tell that this was like a long-term shelter for someone. Law enforcement gathered items for DNA testing, and after months of waiting, the results came in. No sign of Stephen, right? This was just another dead end. This poor family. Yeah, so after all of this, all of this information, all these years, law enforcement and the Kosher family are no closer to finding Stephen. So this case reminds me of like my all time favorite. I brought this up to you so many times because it's it reminds me so much of Bryce LePiz's disappearance, where Bryce was just doing that like crazy traveling. Do you remember he was ben. driving past? I mean, just, it's it's an interesting case. So we don't know what caused the bizarre behavior and travels of these both of these young men before their disappearances. I mean, don't you don't you see the similarities? Oh yeah, they're very similar, and it's just. I mean, I can't wrap my head around what could possibly have been going on. So it's just crazy. It's like no rhyme or reason for any of their behavior. Yeah, for sure. So let's go back to the video, watch it again, and pull it up on our socials. But like, I don't think that the walk is right for someone who is having a mental Mm breakdown. Yeah. It looks like, it doesn't look like he's in distress. He doesn't seem like dazed or confused. He's not like swaying side to side yeah he's walking with a purpose he looks like determined focused do you think yeah i think focused is a good word for it like yeah he looks like he has a destination mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i agree he doesn't seem distressed in any way plus he looks like he's holding something to me yeah it's almost as if he's like heading for a business meeting um i think there is a chance he was lured to a house maybe under like false pretenses. <laughs> I agree. I mean, you never know what's happening behind closed doors, even in this, like, nice neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Someone could be running a shady business or worse in one of these homes in that beautiful subdivision. Do you know if the police talked to the owners of the home that it looks like he walked up to? They got, talked to everyone. They did. Everyone, yeah. So crazy. Yeah, I mean, but we do know that Stephen was desperate for work. Yeah. Did he maybe go against his instinct? Maybe fell into something that he normally wouldn't agree to just because he was so desperate to be on his own two feet. The silver lining in this story is that after law enforcement and his family, like, searched through his entire life, Stephen really was who he represented himself as. Like, yeah. He was a good or is a good man. So as we're talking through this story, they have not confirmed that he is dead, right? And his family has chosen not to have him declared dead. Yes. Legally, he is not declared dead. Mm -hmm. Right. So when talking about him, it's hard to know if we should talk about him in present tense or past tense, right? So Mm -hmm. if we switch back and forth, we're just trying. (laughs) So the silver line in the story is that after law enforcement and his family searched through his life, Stephen really is who he represented himself as. Like, he is a good man. He's a man of strong moral character, a man just trying to make it on his own, a man who knows, like, who he is. He's a man of, I mean, he was listening to scripture as he's driving around. I mean, he just seems like such a good man, and he's just trying his best through a rough time. Mm -hmm. After his disappearance, his family takes comfort in looking through his scriptures. His Bible, Stephen had written small notes in the margins of the Holy Text, He wrote in the margins of his love of his family and that they were linked forever, bonded by God. He wrote that his home with his family was a very peaceful place. Deanne Kosher, Stephen's mother, lost her sweet husband, Rolf, who was Stephen's dad, on February tenth, two 2011, just over a year after Stephen's disappearance. Deanne also lost her father in 2010. So this poor woman, she lost her father, her husband, and her son in little over a year. Yeah. So sad. So Deanna is quoted saying, quote, There is absolutely nothing new to help us know where our son is. Every time I look at a picture of our family, I realize three important men in my life are gone. Mm-hmm. Please, if you know anything about the disappearance, even the smallest little detail that you may think isn't important. Reach out. Let the police decide if it's an important detail or not. Yeah, you may hold the key to unlocking Stephen's whereabouts. Go to Help Us Find Stephen Kosher on Facebook. Kosher is spelled K O E C H E R. His Facebook page will also be in our show notes. Yeah, please, please, please share this episode on your social medias and with your friends and family. We can really make a difference in Steven's case. I mean, These are our people. These are Rocky Mountain people. Mm -hmm. So let's do all we can to bring his family the peace they deserve. Yeah. Social media is, again, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Rocky Mountain Red Handed. Instagram is at Rocky Mountain Red Handed. So all of our thoughts and prayers are with Stephen's family. Stephen seems like he is just such a good guy. I'm sure they're so proud of him. don't think he left his friends and family by choice, right? No, yeah. He had that determined walk. I think he was going somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that voicemail check, I mean, that's just a big red flag, if you ask me. I don't think Stephen did this by his choice. Yeah. Stephen, if you are out there, we are praying for your safe return. And now we're going to hear some good news with our Rocky Mountain Redemption. Mel, are you a cat person? No, not even kind of. are you? Mel, <laughs> no, I like dogs. No. And I'm not a cat. I'm a dog person. I'm not necessarily, like, anti-cat, yeah. but um, they make me itchy, and I'm a dog person. <laughs> Well, a police officer was captured by her dash cam running after a teeny, tiny little kitty on the side of a busy highway. Officer Estrada of the Nevada State Police pulled over in her patrol car in Las Vegas, Nevada after dispatch had received several phone calls about the kitty on the highway. She finally was able to catch up to the kitty and returned to her car, where the kitty promptly hid in the jockey box until Officer Estrada returned to the police station. I love this story. It's cute. Well, and also, I mean, Vegas traffic is insane because it is always under construction. Yes. Always. Yep. Yes. So the kitty was then given lots of TLC by all officers at the Nevada State Police, and they gave the kitty the name Trooper Kitty. Tripper Kitty was soon after adopted by a loving family in the area. That's so awesome. It's a good story, even though we're not cat people. No, the cat <laughs> it's was It's a sick. great story, yeah. yeah. Well, and that officer seriously risked her life. If you watch the video, it's, it's on our show notes. And, like, it's a busy Vegas freeway. Yeah, it's scary, so... Um, and that is your Rocky Mountain Redemption. Thanks for listening today. And one more time, I'll <laughs> with our social media. Mel, you're so good at saying the most loud media. Instagram is at Rocky Mountain Red Handed, And you can find us on Facebook as well. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And we will be back next week with a new case. Yes, we we have new episodes every single Wednesday. So until then, keep your hands clean.